Now, uh, what I want to do is I'm going to continue talking about uh, judgment tonight uh, from the book of Romans. Uh, but we'll really, we won't be going to Romans a whole lot, um, but I will read the opening passage. Of course, our theme for the year is be transformed. And, um, and I really want this year to be a year where we change. We change. And it's through renewing our mind, uh, the Word of God. I, I tell you, you just cannot give yourself uh, to it too much. You cannot uh, give yourself to understanding it too much. I would really, when you come to church, just give yourself to it. Give yourself a pen and a notebook and say, God, I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to I change. Amen. It all starts with the mind. And when you get that information up there, and then as you're listening to it, let it, let it sink down into the heart. You know, that trust has to be there. Lord, I believe it. I believe it. I trust it, you know. And when you, uh, the Bible talks about the parable of the, of the sower, when that seed sinks into the heart with understanding, then it gains root. Then it actually brings forth fruit. Otherwise, it just sits at the top, and the vulture comes and takes that seed away. And so it takes energy. It takes effort, you know, in every sermon you hear. That's why sometimes when you're tired, the danger is you'll walk away and you won't get anything. And I know how that is. But even with that, you've got to somehow find a way to keep yourself engaged in the process. That's why on Wednesday nights when people work, uh, they give a lot of energy and they're physically tired, I usually have worksheets. And I do that so that you can stay focused on the message because most people are ready to go to sleep. <laughs> Amen. And so I encourage you the best you can, uh, write notes, uh, you know, underline things in your Bible, let the Lord speak to minister to you as, as the preaching's going on. Somehow there's something he has for you, even if it's not even something I'm really touching. It could be just something the Holy Spirit just tweaks with that verse or that word, whatever it is. And uh, anything you, you can do to change, let it happen, <laughs> amen? Because we need it. We need it so bad in the day and age in which we live. This world needs to see what real Christianity is all about, Amen. And so we're going to look today a little bit at how spiritual people judge, how spiritual people judge. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, uh, whether, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou uh, that judgest doest the same things. And that is really the base philosophy that you have to start from here. When we're judging things, we're not, we're not looking to condemn people or make them uh, look bad. If you're using information to hurt people's reputations, you are a wicked person. You're a wicked person. And you cannot in any way justify that. You don't take people's sin as a weapon, as a bullet in your gun to use against them. That, my friend, is satanic to its core. Uh, that's what rebels do. And we don't, we don't like that around here. <laughs> Amen. If you know of somebody's problem, some sin, the Bible gives you a uh, a way to can go to them and try to seek uh, help and to say, hey, this is what you're doing and you need to stop this and you need help here and give an opportunity to repent and get that right without exploding it and making people know about that, that whole sin. And so it's very important that we, we deal with this the right way. But that's the foundation. We've got to make sure that we don't judge to condemn. We don't judge to hurt people. We judge to help people. We judge to salvage. We judge to protect. And I, you know, it's sad to say that sometimes when you're judging to protect, it exposes the sin of the individual that's only because they're not willing to get it right. 
And, uh, but that is the, the extreme version of it, <laughs> amen? That's not something that you're desiring at all. And so um, we're going to look at the first point I have here is a spiritual person judges according to the uh, a right standard of truth, the right standard of truth. That is so key. Um, this morning I gave you this graphic that I have here, and it's really just telling you that God will use his word to guide you. That's what it's all about. It's not the way you feel, any of those type of things. Emotions can be a real uh, problem when you're judging things. Well, I just feel. Well, it's not about feeling. It's I know the Bible says this. Amen. And that's how I'm judging the situation. And when you stay to the scripture, it keeps you safe. It protects you as you operate according to the word of God in whatever situation you're dealing with. And so just stay with the scripture. As soon as you veer off to the side, start letting emotions be your guide, uh, anger, bitterness, whatever it is, you're putting yourself directly under the attack of Satan. And you will hurt yourself. And so we don't do that. We have to stay within the word of God. And so uh, we'll look a little more at this as we go along here. I want to show you another um, graphic. I didn't show that to you this morning. Uh, I don't know if this is working, Ben. But the one that's before it with the three circles there, there we go. And so this is really, man is made up of spirit, soul, and body. And they are interconnected, all right? Now God and the Bible works through your spirit. When he does that, the, the effect of that is faith, meekness, peace, love, fear of God, joy. All those things is what follows when you make principal decisions. But when you start letting Satan and the world dictate your decisions, then you're led by pressure, not principle. You're led by our emotions through our flesh. Notice how the spirit is bypassed altogether. See, that's what the devil wants. The devil's a rebel. So he wants to, uh, you know that the spirit is the master, your soul is the steward, and your body is the slave. That's why the apostle Paul says, I bring my body into subjection. The body is always supposed to be told what to do by the spiritual mind. Amen. It's not supposed to lead you. It's not supposed to, well, I feel I want to do this. My body needs this. Let's pamper ourselves, whatever it is. Be careful of that type of mentality. That's the world's philosophy. The body ought not to be put in the leadership position. But what the devil wants to do is put the body in the first, in the leadership position. He wants to flip it all upside down. So he wants the body to lead, and then you make your decisions according to the lust of the flesh. And so that's a very dangerous position to be in. And you don't want that. So the result of that is confusion, anger, agitation, anxiety, fear of man, bitterness. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Uh, fear problems. Uh, what am I missing there, you know? Uh, but all these things are a result. And notice that when you make a decision led by principle, and it goes through your spirit, through your soul, your mind and will, and through your body, righteousness is the result. R- the right way, the right living. But when you go through Satan and the world and allow it to impress your soul by the flesh, the outcome of that will always be sin. It'll always be the wrong thing. Amen? And so it's very important that we catch ourselves when we're making decisions because that's where it happens. That's why the Bible tells us to, uh, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your, what? Bodies, a living sacrifice. If I could give my body to God and present that on the, on the altar then I know it will never lead. It's dead. Amen? 
And so if it's not going to lead, then I know the Spirit's going to lead. So the Lord says, if I can have your body, then I will have your life. Amen? But if you're not going to give God your body, you will not, he will not have your life. Because Satan will have too much influence over your life through the lusts of your flesh, through the lusts of your body. Amen? And it really causes a lot of problems. So slave, steward. The steward is simply a manager. Your soul is just, just a switch in the middle of the two. Uh, you're, all you're doing is making a choice. You know, you're just choosing. Am I going to follow the word of God through principle, uh, by, by the spirit of God, or am I going to give into pressure and my emotions on this side? So you're really just flicking a switch. Now, how do I know what, what direction I'm going to go? How can I predetermine which direction I'm going to choose every time? Well, your soul also houses what the Bible calls your heart, your heart. And so the Bible says where your heart is, amen, that's where your treasure, that's where your treasure is. And so when you set your heart to the Lord, you will always choose in your soul the right direction, amen? So it's all a matter of heart. It's all a matter of what you love the most, where your affections are at. And that's why the Bible says set your affections on those things which are above. If you start loving this world and the money and the whatever you can get out of it, you be very careful before you know it, you're making decisions based upon the lust of that money, you know, and you're giving up things that would benefit you in a spiritual way because it's costing you money. You see, the world is just geared this way. The world is geared towards money. That's why it's hard for us as a church to get things from this world because they don't see the benefit. The world doesn't see the benefit. Why should I give you that building? It doesn't benefit me. Because they don't see the benefit uh, because it's by faith. The church benefits the community by faith. That means I know in my heart, and I've told them this, that when you allow the church to thrive in in the city, you will have benefits. And whatever you think you're losing in tax dollar, whatever you think, you are gaining tenfold, ultimately. But it's hard when you don't operate by faith. Amen? they got to have the numbers in front of them. And that's why the world doesn't, that's why it's hard for a church to go forward in the world and have the world help them. <laughs> it usually doesn't work too well. And this is just my experience. Like maybe it's just me. Maybe they don't like me, you know? I don't know. But uh, that's what I'm finding here. And so uh, the Lord really has to do it for us. We really have to, uh, you know, have the Lord get involved in our situations. He has to do things that are supernatural for us even to get anywhere in this world as a church, to get property, get this, get that. It's got to be the Lord because the world is not going to help us. Amen? And so we got to keep that before us. And so uh, how spiritual people judge? A spiritual person judges according to the right standard of truth by principle. Uh, John 7 verse 24 says, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Righteous judgment, right Judgments. We need to judge according to the God, God's word. That's why 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's so important to know how to study the Bible. Folks, it's a dangerous thing for Christians today that don't know how to study the word of God and they have people come to them 
from false belief systems or whatever, and they start throwing little verses out and say, well, what does this mean? And they just kind of nitpick little, little passages or little parts of a passage, and it starts messing with your head because you don't know where to place that. Where, where, where do I place this? But if you've studied and you, you've drawn the right lines in Scripture, you say, hey, that has nothing to do with that. I know where that belongs, you know, and you put them in their place. But if we're not studying right, we're not dividing the truth right, we're going to be deceived by people. And the Bible says, beware lest any man spoil you. Men spoil you. The devil's not going to come down and knock on your door and say, I'm going to mess you up. He's going to send people. People. They will spoil you. They'll take the good things from your life because you're not, you're not strong in the word of God and you're not protecting yourself with a shield of faith. And they're leading you into a decision that's leading you away from principle, you know? And it sounds good. You got to remember, in the scripture, every time it talks about a false teacher or so forth, they speak with great swelling words. Boy, they're smart people, (laughs) you know? I don't care how smart they are. It has got to be the word of God. I don't care how many degrees you have. It means nothing. It's got to be the truth of the word of God. Amen? And so we've got to get ourselves settled on this because it's going to happen. You will meet people that will try to spoil you. Even if it's not very uh, blatant, it's a subtle thing. It says, beware, let's say, man, spoil you through philosophy. Well, this is just what I believe. They say things like that. And then instead of putting that, that belief to the test of the word of God, oh, that philosophy sounds good, you know? Or vain deceit, profitless deception you know, or traditions of men is in that list. So, well, this is the way we just do it. We've always done it this way. You can't expect us to change that. And it says, and not after Christ. He's the truth. He's the way. He's the life. Amen. The devil will give you anything. He'll throw every, every tool at you in his box just to get you away from Jesus. Amen. And he makes it look pretty good. Study to show thyself approved. And the Bible says in 2 Peter 1.20, knowing this first said, no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. So be careful when someone gives you a verse. Tell them this. Give me 10 more verses to back that up. No, no, no. You want to do a Bible study. See, they don't do that. They hop. They give you a little bit of a verse and then they hop over to something else. No, no. You stop them in the tracks. Say 10 more verses right now. You're such a smart individual. You're so spiritual. You'll have some verses now to draw from. I want to hear them. And you know what? They're going to be flubbing all over the place. (laughs) A Bible study principle is you always interpret the unclear passages of Scripture by that which is clear. You never go to the unclear and then try to just discern what it means without first knowing the clear passages. That's why you need to presuppose some things. You know, in my life, I've got some presuppositions. One of those is, this Bible is perfect. That's where it starts. I start with a perfect Bible. So if anybody comes at me and tries to mess around with my idea, my presupposition of a perfect Bible, because I base that on Scripture, now I know we've started on the wrong foundation. (laughs) I don't need to listen to that. Whatever you got to say isn't worthy. (laughs) <laughs> of my attention amen and so you got to have some presuppositions 
So you've got to presuppose that salvation is simply by believing what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and trusting in your heart what he did in that sacrifice. As soon as you start adding something else, say, hold on there. That's messing with my presupposition. <laughs> you know, you're not re- I'm not going to relay the foundation of my life because you've got some little scripture you want to convince me of. Ten more verses right now. <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll be jumping around. And you could find ten verses that are clear, that shows them opposite of what they say. Because they'll always just pull on to a, a phrase, a little phrase, a, a little verse in the middle of a passage, and you, the first thing you got to ask is, okay, what's the context of that verse? What are they talking about? Amen? Find out, you know, well, this verse telling you to go to hell. The verse doesn't even mention hell. It has nothing to do with salvation. And yet somehow you're saying that this analogy is talking about everybody going to hell. That's the way it works. And they deceive you. Especially if you've got a background in losing salvation doctrine. I've got a little bit of that background. I think I've overcome basically all of it. But some people haven't. We'll have people come here that they believe what we say about eternal security, but whenever they hear that verse, it's like, it's like a shaking to the foundation. It's like someone's taking a jackhammer and, oh, really? Do you really believe that? And it challenges it because it's been so indoctrinated over years and years and even generations, grandma, grandpa, and whoever else. You can't expect it just to be gone, you know? But what's going to help you is a strong belief in the Word of God and, and presuppositions. You've got to know the clear passages. You've got to understand, number one, these things will not change for me. So if you're starting to mess with that, bye-bye. I don't even want to talk to you. You know what I mean? Because you start listening to stuff like that, and they'll challenge your presuppositions on the Word of God. What's going to happen is you're going to start shape, be shaken in your foundational beliefs. You know? And if you're going to do that, I mean, my goodness, what does the devil have to do to get you off of kilter? <laughs> you know what I mean? It ought to be very hard for him to do that. And so we're making judgments based on what is right and wrong according to the scripture. Uh, the Bible says, you know, in, in the book of Hebrews, I'll even turn there. I don't want to mess this up. Um, you know this passage very well. Hebrews chapter 4. You're wondering, how do, how do I get my emotions in check? How do I get my thoughts in the right way? You know, because I'm just so messed up uh, when I get challenged. Well, it says here in verse number 12, it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful. Well, let's go back one verse, uh, a couple verses here. No, no, let's go to verse 9. <laughs> All right. Notice what it says. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Yep. A rest. For he that has entered into his rest, he hath also ceased from his own works as God did from his. It says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. <laughs> That's interesting. You're telling me to cease from my works, now you're telling me to labor. Well, there is work involved in entering into rest. You have to learn how to study the word of God. You have to make some uh, commitments to the things of God. It's just not going to happen. You're not just going to sit at home every day after work and you know, put on the hockey game and expect that you're going to have a rested life. You're not just going to have peace in your heart automatically. It's going to be by commitment to the things of God, going to church, reading your Bible, talking to the Lord, constant confession of sin. You've got to labor to enter into that rest. Amen? But it goes on to say, um, 
says, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief like the children of Israel did. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. So you know what? The word of God has the ability to divide soul and spirit so that you understand what's coming from God and what's coming from your emotions. Amen? It's so important we see that. That's a, word, that's a power of God's word. Then it goes on to say, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That soul is our problem. It really is, you know. Our spirit is sealed. It's perfect, man. It's just, it's just, it's already resurrected. You know what I mean? If there's one part of you that's already sitting in glory, it's your spirit. It's already connected to God. You can never disconnect that. You are already seated with him in the heavenlies in a spiritual positional form. Amen? But your soul. Now, it's no accident that the Lord left you here with your soul that's corrupt. Amen? It's not just a a joke he's playing on you. He wants you in your corrupt form to learn how to allow him to communicate and work through your spirit into your corrupt soul to see a practical transformation take place. He wants you to show the effect of a faith-filled life to the world. I mean, what better way to do it than to use one of them? Oh, people can't change. A leopard can't change its spots. (laughs) Well, let me tell you something. The Lord just not only changes spot, he changes the leopard itself. He changes us from a pig to a sheep. Amen. Amen. He changes your whole creature. (laughs) And so he wants to show that to the world. And so he left us here in this corrupt body, in this body that is still affected by things in the world and by sin and lust and so forth. You can do anything that a lost person can do. You can do it too. Never, never forget that. That's why you don't judge to condemn. Your flesh, your body is corrupt. That's why it needs to be put on the altar and it needs to be a living sacrifice, the Bible says. Amen? And so he leaves us here with these corrupt aspects of our life so that he can show the world how a perfect God can use an imperfect person to show his glory through. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, the Bible says. Earthen vessels. And sometimes in order for that light to shine through us, that vessel has to be cracked. It's like a clay pot. (laughs) So he gets his hammer, just goes crack. (laughs) And then through that crack, that's where you see the light shine through. See, he he planned it that way. He planned it that, that he would show himself strong through our weakness. Amen? So that's what I mean. Like whenever someone comes to you and they start talking about losing salvation, (laughs) they're missing it. You will always battle with wrong decisions, and you will make wrong decisions. Folks, you know, like the Bible says in John 15 that, you know, know, if you're unfruitful, the Bible says it's like a branch that's purged and burnt and cast into the fire. Well, you're going to hell now. Oh, really? Have you ever heard that one before? (laughs) If you're Mennonite, you have. (laughs) That's one of their go-to passages. It's, It's interesting how it says, the husbandman, any branch that's in him that beareth not fruit, he taketh it away. If you look at that word taken away, it says he takes it up. 
he raises it up. So that's not talking about sending it down. (laughs) I mean, sometimes what happens is he does lay people aside. He says, you are unprofitable, and I can't leave you down. And we know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it talks about how that many among you sleep. I can't use you down there. Apostle Paul says one of his fears was that he would become a castaway after everything he's preached to others, that I myself would be a castaway. It's not talking about hell. It's talking about being discarded from the vineyard. The vineyard is a place of production. It's a place of work. It's a place of bearing forth fruit. And so if you're going to apply that to salvation, then what you're really doing is saying, if you're not going to win souls, you're going to hell. How many of you want a soul? Personally want a soul. By your effort. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. But you know something? If, that, if they're going to interpret Scripture that way, then you're also going to have to say that you're, if you don't bring forth, if you're not going to win people to Christ, you're going to hell. And not only that, if you're going to take that, that, that far, that branch, what happens when you burn a branch? How much is left? So you're talking about annihilation now? Where do you stop this analogizing? That's why. That's not what God was trying to give us in that passage. You understand? You get somebody coming to you and they start throwing stuff at you. And if you're not being sharp and and with your presuppositions, the clear passages, they're going to mess you up. Well, I'll tell you, you know your stuff. You'll shut them down. He taketh it away, taketh it up. Let them explain that. What does he do when a lost person, when he kills a lost person? or says, They go down. It's, it's in the earth, by the way. <laughs> Taking them up means going to heaven. <laughs> Amen. So he's talking about Christians abiding in the vine that will not bring forth fruit. They wither if they do not allow the Lord to work through them. And that's why you have many Christians that live a withered life. And ultimately, the Lord could take you out. He could bring you up. And I think he has, and you'll never know it. You'll never know until glory how many of those were because it was simply because they would not bear forth fruit for the Lord. It's not up to us to judge that, is it? It's a personal, it's a personal warning. It's a personal admonition to allow the Lord to work through you. Because what he's doing is purging you so you can bring forth more fruit in your life. And he's going to continue to do that because he wants to bring forth more fruit through your life. Don't let yourself wither. Amen? A spiritual person judges by the word of God. And so I'm just giving you examples there. You know, you've got to use the scriptures. You've got to be in tune with the Bible. You've got to have presuppositions nailed down. You've got to get yourself a book and say, these are the things I know. And write them down. Yeah. Nobody's challenging me on these things. And as soon as they start, you say, hold on there, buddy. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what I believe, and you're not going to change my mind. Then watch them scurry away. Amen. Then have some verses to back that up. It's going to help you. And so, also a spiritual person in judging restores fallen Christians. That's what a, that it's, that's what a spiritual person does. They restore people. Because they're submitted in their heart to God's leadership, the Bible says in Galatians 6, verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Notice how that, that foundational aspect of judging is in there. 
Don't get all high and mighty that somehow you're, you're beyond this. Whatever that guy's doing, you can fall to it too. So you got to know that you're ready, you know. Some people, it's just a spiritual, it's kind of a spiritual feather in the hat to be used to help somebody. I'm just helping this person. Well, you be careful when you start saying you're helping somebody because that means that you are saying you're presupposing that you're a spiritual person. <laughs> if you're not, <clears throat> that person's looking at you for a lot more than you can give. You understand that? And there's sometimes you got to get to the point and say, you know what? I may not be the right person to help this person. <laughs> but you know what? I've gone through what you've gone through. I can help you. <laughs> not necessarily. I found that some people that have gone through the same thing people, other people have gone through are the worst people to help people. Because many times they themselves have not resolved those issues. And if you haven't resolved them, stay away from it. Because it will come out. And the devil will make sure of it. Amen. So ye that are spiritual. Spiritual person is allowing the, the word of God to guide them in their spirit. And they're making decisions in their soul. And they're fleshing it out in their body. They're faithful people. They go to church a lot. Amen. Somebody that gives themselves to the things of God and reading the word of God and studying the scripture and knowing what the Bible says, those are the ones that will help to restore you. Be careful just going to your friend and just, you know, will you help me? And, and they are not spiritual whatsoever. Sometimes I tell people, why are you talking to that person? <laughs> They're not even living right. And you're using, you're, you're getting advice from them. It's messing you up. You know, you that are spiritual, restore such a one, you know. Uh, it's something I've noticed about re rebels always, always have projects. They are so rebellious that they want to prove to everybody that they're helping people. And so they go and help people, not to help them, but to prove that they're helping somebody. And I've seen this over and over again. In every situation I have perceived and looked at, that, that relationship blew up because they were not spiritual enough to bring it through. You understand? <laughs> so we got to be smart about this. That's Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse number 1. You can turn there if you like. It's a good passage. It's a good one that relates very much to judging and, and so forth. In Matthew 7, verse number 1. Judge not that you be not judged. That's a good thing, you know. And that's talking about that foundational principle of, hey, let's just not hypocritically judge people because they're doing bad stuff because you could do exactly the same thing. Or just because, you know, you're, you're doing something wrong, you want to go find out the wrong in someone else because they're doing the same thing to put in your gun to shoot back at them. I'm sorry, that's just as hypocritical. Amen? You don't do stuff like that. <laughs> and maybe give the benefit of the doubt that somebody's actually trying to help somebody. Somebody may just be trying to help that person get through this, and you're getting involved, and you ought not. <laughs> Amen? You ought not. Well, what about you? <laughs> and I'll tell you something. If you want to pick my life apart to keep me from helping, you could probably go back 20, 30 years, and you can find all kinds of stuff of why you ought not listen to me. But I'm going to tell you something. The Lord has made me a new creature in Christ. Amen. You understand that? Matthew 7, verse 1, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. 
So you want to make sure when you're judging the situation, you're not judging in a way that, oh, this person is so bad. That's not what it's about. Because then the God will say, okay, how bad are you? You understand? So that's not how we do this. We're, we're judging it because, hey, Lord, we want to help this person. Then he says, hey, well, I want to help you too. <laughs> Amen. So the way you're judging, that's the way the Lord's going to judge you. That's the way the Lord's going to help you. So if you want to throw around and attack people because they've done wrong, what's going to happen is the Lord says, well, then let me expose you for what you are. You understand? <laughs> so it's going to happen. So it goes on to say, you shall be judged for what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? See, this is how a hypocritical judge works. They look at everybody else's problems, but they totally are blind to their own issues in their own life. Meaning, they are not spiritual. <laughs> They're not spiritual at all. They're totally missing their own problems. They're not dealing with their own household. They're not dealing with their own lives. It goes on to say, Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. That means, how are you going to see clearly to help this person when you've got your own issues? You can't even help yourself. How are you going to help them? That's what it's saying. It says, thou hypocrite, putting on a mask, just trying to look good, just trying to pretend that you know what you're doing. It says, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou, thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. You know, this is the thing. Sometimes you've had an issue in your life, a problem, a sin, uh, something that has dogged you, uh, a, a thing that has really had an effect on you and your home and your family. And you know what? That happens. It happens. And you may have that and someone else may have that. But I'll tell you, when you know you're past that, you see, <laughs> I think it was a, uh, not a message, but I think it's something I just said not long ago that your trash has to turn to treasure. That's when you know you're ready. See, if you're still hiding your trash, you're not ready to help people. But if the trash of your life has turned to treasure, now you know you're ready to help them because you resolve the issue. How do you know that your trash has turned to treasure? When it's become your testimony. Amen. See, when it's become your testimony, what's happened now is you are now taking that which has had a detrimental effect on your life and the Lord has shown you the victory through it and now you're no longer ashamed to tell people, you know, this is how it can help. This is how the Lord can help you through as well. But if you're still not in the testimony phase, well, I don't want to testify. That's because you're still working through the trash. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There's some things you don't want to testify about, all right? There's some sins you just want to, you know, you, you can keep it in a general type of way. But even to yourself and to the Lord, it has to become a testimony. You have to have a testimony before your Lord. And if you haven't resolved it and you haven't figured out your, your problem and you haven't uh, resolved that with God and made it a testimony before him, say, Lord, this is the way it was and this is how you've helped me. And now I'm a, I've confessed it. I'm in agreement with you about it. Uh, I, I've, I've been forgiven of this. And maybe I can't really tell everybody everything I've gone through because, you know, what happens sometimes if people are just looking for dirt, they'll even take your testimony and try to hurt you. I'm careful sometimes even giving my testimony. 
because I know people are always gunning for me. They're always, I can just see they're just picking, ooh. They grab them, they just put that in their gun. We'll use this later. <laughs> you know what I mean? Boy, it happens a lot, <laughs> you know? Oh, now be what you are, because that's what we talked about. That's judging, lest you be judged. Amen? But I'll tell you something. That's when you know you're ready to deal with the same issue that you're working through in somebody else's life is when you have turned it into treasure and it's become a testimony. And if you haven't testified yet about the victory you've had through that situation, you're still not ready to help that person. Too much garbage still. Too much trash involved. <laughs> Amen? So it's got to be sorted through. You guys know what I'm talking about there? <laughs> you know, I know it's because this is a personal experience I'm talking about here. <laughs> you, know, uh, you, know, you learn it by looking at yourself, by understanding yourself, and understanding what you go through. You know? Uh, you know, I didn't see a verse on that necessarily. But you see how God works out in people's lives when David, after he confessed, I guess I do have verses on it, in Psalm 51, and how that he confessed, he said, you know, he's the Lord restored me a right spirit and, and so forth. This is after Bathsheba. And he says, then I will teach sinners thy way. After you do this for me, after you cleanse me and after you help me and after you restore me and after uh, the joy of the Lord has been restored in my life, then I will teach sinners thy, thy way. That was a part of his process of dealing with the sin. I'm going to help people not to make the same stupid mistakes I made. <laughs> Amen. Then you know you're ready to help. <laughs> All right. Anyways, there's a time when you have to consider that you may not be the best person to help someone. So find them someone that can help them. Don't let it be a matter of pride. You know, if you can't help them, send it to someone else. You know, you're dealing with someone's, someone's life there. It's not just a project. It's, you know... Sometimes I look at people, and, and I really, I see people doing the wrong thing. They're, they're saying the wrong things. And I go to them and say, you know, and I talk about the church. This church here, when someone walks through the back door, it's not a little thing. This is a supernatural thing. <laughs> and with that person, God has done something in their life to bring them to this point where they may need some real help. And you've got to be careful just going in there and pretending like somehow this person is your property. Let's go do this. Be careful. Because they didn't come here to just be your buddy. Yeah. They came here to get the help of God. Yes, sir. And you better fear the Lord. And you better have meekness about that. And that's the biggest mistakes I've seen. And it's cost people in our church where people have treated people that walk through the door as somehow somebody I can use for my own desire. Rather than looking at them and say, maybe God has them here for the long haul and they're going to need someone for a long period of time to show them the real Christian life. Yeah. And so be careful. Like I say, the church is not something to be trifled with. It's, it's a very tender thing, especially when people come walking through the door. And the words you say and how the little innuendos you put out there against the leadership or against the devil's using that to keep them from coming to the one that maybe could help them. And you're going to face God for that. Yeah. Amen. You're going to face him. He's going to say, they would have gotten help, but you said that to them. Oh, that'll be an awesome day when you stand before the Lord like that with his eyes of fire. Amen. 
Be careful with your words. Remember, they are here to be led into the truth. And the pastor here of this church is a part of that process. And if you are undermining the leadership of this church, you're working against the very work of God. And I'm not saying I'm nothing. You can pull me out and get someone else if you want to. But all I'm saying, if I'm not here, whoever else is here, you treat it with great fear and respect. That's how we're going to help people. But this flippant attitude, man, I'm just saying, man, before you start getting involved, please talk to me. Even when people just come in and they start, hey, why don't you do this? It would help for you sometimes to talk to your pastor about it. I know a whole lot more things than you think I know about people. And I'm not talking about dirt. I'm just talking about I know how people work. I know why people come here. Sometimes I know why the Lord has brought them here. That's not to be trifled with. You be careful. The spiritual man judges all things, but it's that spiritual man that God's going to use to restore such a one. And it's that spiritual man that begins to see that the dynamic here isn't just a bunch of people getting together like some soccer club. This, my friend, is a living organism empowered by God Almighty. And it's not to be trifled with. Amen? And I'll tell you, you get on board with that. God will use you in powerful ways. But you want to prove your own point. You want to get your own pride in there. You want to say, hey, look, I can help people too. You're going to blow it sky high and you're going to have casualties that one day the Lord is going to look at you and say, you messed it up. Yeah. Don't do it. Shut your mouth. That's why the Bible says it's better that you pluck your eye out. Yeah, amen. amen. That's serious stuff. Serious stuff. My goodness. Preacher's preaching. Amen. The spiritual person judges to protect themselves. Their families, their churches. Your heart here ought to be, I want to help these people. I want to protect these people. I want to restore these people. Whatever I got to do, God, that's what I want to do. That's my life. That's what I want to be a part of here. This restoration process. This is a hospital for sinners, man. But so easily you can turn that into a mess and confusion. 1 Corinthians 5.3, we have the account, this church discipline passage. I'm not going to talk about church discipline, but I want you to understand some principles here about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was not in Corinth. He did not, he did not, he was not there when this problem was going on. But notice what he said. For I verily, as absent in the body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that had done this deed. So there's something that happened here. There was a deed that took place and that deed became a public knowledge and it got to where Paul was wherever he was at this time. And he says, even though I'm not there with you, I've already judged. The judgment has been made. Because you can make judgments based upon deeds. And not only that, he, he understood this very clearly in 1 Corinthians 5.1. It says, it's reported commonly that there is fornication among you. So notice he says, it's reported commonly. I'm not grasping for straws here. I'm not making things up. 
Everybody knows it. It's going around town. Everybody sees what's going on. It's commonly reported. There's fornication among you. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. What a sinful action was taking place, this deed. The judgment was based upon the violation of Scripture and the unwillingness of this person to repent. They thought they could continue on. And the church thought they were so spiritual that, oh, you know, we're just going to give them time. (laughs) No. Why not give them time? Why not let them work it out? Well, Paul had an answer for that. In 1 Corinthians 5, 6, he says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? So it's one thing when you're dealing with somebody that has a sin problem. And they themselves are dealing with it, or maybe their family's dealing with it. And you as a pastor are involved, or you as a spiritual Christian are involved, and you're helping them, and you're trying to protect them, and you're trying to help them through it. That's one thing. But it's another thing when these sins become common. And where it's over and over, and no matter what you do, they're continuing to do it. It starts spreading. And so a spiritual person understands this. I'm trying to salvage this, but because of their unwillingness to repent, now the danger is turned into how it's going to infect. So it's a big deal when, they, when you have people saying, hey, this is what this person told me. See, that's a part of the process. That's a part of that infection process. So a pastor has to listen to those things. And if you're spiritual, you will as well. And if you hear these things, you're not just going to say, oh, I don't want to get involved. <laughs> no, because you love people. So what you're going to do is you're actually going to either go to that person or you're going to go to the pastor and say, hey, this is what I've been hearing. Go to the one that's trying to protect the church. It's important you do that. <laughs> when someone starts saying things and false doctrines and so forth, you don't just leave it. If you leave it, are you going to become responsible for the way that that doctrine begins to infect people's lives when you knew about it and you should have told somebody? Well, I didn't know what to do. I don't know how to handle that. Well, then you get somebody, like I said, maybe you're not ready to restore such a one, but then you go to one that has the ability to do that. Amen? That's how church life has to operate. Not in a judgmental way, not in a way we're just out to get people, but we have to protect the body, the church. It's given to us to do that. In order for that to happen, we need to judge righteous judgment. Amen? You get what I'm saying here? It's not condemnation. It's not saying, I couldn't do what you're doing. Of course I could do what you're doing. And I hope if I did it, that you would operate scripturally with me. Mm -hmm. Amen? A spiritual person judges heresy. Heresy. Titus 3.8, it says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies. You ever been involved in a genealogy conversation? I have, man. It's just... I just say, oh, I got somewhere to go. (laughs) 
You talk to some people, man, you got to trace down your lineage to John the Baptist in order to be a true Christian. I'm sorry, I just don't go there. See, folks, that would be what you call more of a brighter position. And that's not what we are. See, the authority we have is not based in the genealogy. The authority we have is based on Scripture. So we become a Baptist not by the, the lineage of Baptists that have gone before us. We become a Baptist based upon the doctrine we believe. That's the way it works. It's based in Scripture. Amen. You don't have to follow down the line. But I tell you, you start getting those genealogies. Well, where did you come from? Be careful of that kind of stuff. And maybe you could. I've seen guys go right back to John the Baptist and say, praise God, it still doesn't make it your authority. I mean, obviously, it probably is going back there somewhere, you know, somehow. But it really doesn't matter. That's a lot of waste of time. And contentions. Strivings about the law. One, man, it's a resurgence today about the law. A lot of these uh, cults that are out there, even Seventh-day Adventism, they began to branch out into different divisions. And they're not even called Seventh-day Adventists anymore, but they, they're groups that have broken off and they start operating within the law and they get, they get to you through diet. Because we're living in a day that everybody wants to have the right diet. I want the, what is the diet out there? I, that's how much you know I diet. <laughs> What is that? Cato diet and what's another one? Some of you guys, you know very well. You've been doing it. <laughs> I'm not against a diet. I'm not against you purging yourself or whatever. You purge your liver, purge your, what do you do? Whatever you want. I really don't care. But the fact of the matter is when you start going to Old Testament law and say, oh yeah, that's the way it ought to be. You've got some serious scriptural issues. Okay. Strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. Really, many times it's about just making yourself look like you know what you're talking about and looking spiritual and becoming one of these hypocrites, these self-righteous people. You know, well, this is the way we do it. You need to follow the way we're doing it. (laughs) Well, no, I'm sorry. We left that law a long time ago. It's been fulfilled in Christ. I like the liberty we have in Christ, guys. It's wonderful, you know. I'm not willing to go back into that bondage, you know. I'll tell you. Anyways, it goes on to say, a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. That means there's one thing if someone has a problem and an error in their doctrine and you're sitting down with them and saying, oh, you know, I never thought about that and they're working through it in the church and I have no problem someone that has been in any cult can come sit in here and listen and so forth but after the first and second admonition they are going out there and spreading their little ideas uh there's got to come a time where the spiritual man says well the scripture says after two times of approaching you we need to reject you now oh that's not being very tolerant no it's not we're very intolerant of error and false doctrine here (laughs) amen it's important we understand that they're subverted. That means they're overthrown. They're overturned. They're entirely destroyed in their faith. And so you're going to sit here and let this person continue to infect the church, but the Bible says you need to reject them. And I know that's not popular because it makes the pastor look bad. You know how you can help the pastor not look bad? When you make the same decisions the pastor does. (laughs) Well, I hope the pastor deals with that soon. 
<laughs> That's why sometimes I say, guys, I need to meet with you and just talk about this because I don't want to face this alone. You know, I want you to be with me on this. And so if anything happens, you'll stand up and say, hey, that's what I believe too. Then it's not always the pastor so bad, <laughs> you know. Well, they still will be, but at least it be a little easier. You've got a shoulder to cry on, amen. So there's subverted. Uh, number five, uh, a spiritual person marks and avoids those that cause division in the church. This isn't very popular in Romans 16, 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses Contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such uh, serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. And it's, it's amazing thing because when I talk, well, they, they're so nice. <laughs> this isn't a nice contest. They might be nicer than me, <laughs> you know, but that's not what this is about. This is about division. It's about the body of Christ. It's about fighting for our unity. That one mind and one mouth glorifying God. This church has to become that, you know. And the reason why it isn't because preachers aren't preaching what I'm saying now. They're scared to say this. And their churches are all divided and, you know, and, oh, we should just accept this. No, we shouldn't. We ought to give people an opportunity to learn. But if they become subverted, they have to leave. And you need to be for that. And you can't get on the preacher every time he's got to make a judgment like that. Because you know how I'm not here to push people out the door. (laughs) You know, if they have to go, that's a very grievous thing to me. So it goes on to say, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. And so these words, mark them, means to spy out. Look towards an object to contemplate, give attention to. So if there's somebody that has a false doctrine in the church, all of us as believers, as the body of Christ, ought to be giving attention to what's going on with them. Not in a critical way, not in a way where I'm just trying to you know, get on their case, but in a way where we've got to be careful because they, there's a potential here for division to take place. We have young believers here. I'm very concerned about our young believers. Some of our older guys, guys that are settled in the faith, I'm not so concerned that they're going to give in every time someone talks to them. But man, there's people on the peripheral here that have been in the devil's sights for, for months now. And I see tide after tide of attack coming against people like that. And someone has got to pay attention to it. Amen? Mark. Then it says avoid. That means bend, turn aside, recline away from, you know. That means it comes a time where you say, I'm not going with them anymore. I'm not, you know, sometimes these people that you're dealing with, with false doctrine, what they really want to do is develop a friendship with you. And as long as you keep giving them that, they're going to continue to work. But when you start pulling away, they say, oh, I can't get anywhere here. They're going to go to another church, (laughs) you know. They're looking for someone to, to, to uh, influence. And I know these things are not easy. These are not the, the joyous, savory things of the scripture, you know. But I know as a pastor, we've got to consider this stuff, you know. And you're doing yourself no favors. You're not doing your family any favors by saying, oh, well, I just won't get involved in that kind of stuff because that's just not me. Well, 
If you're a part of God's body, the body of Christ, you have a responsibility to him. You have a responsibility. You've got to be a part of it. You've got to protect the people. And you know, chances are I'm going to pick it up before you do. I will. <laughs> it's usually what happens. <laughs> when people walk in that door, I know who they are. I understand what they believe, you know, and I'm very willing to give them time. Very willing. <laughs> but as soon as I see division and ungodly things begin to reach out from them, you got to understand we need to judge those things. <laughs> That's what spiritual people do. And so I just want you to know, you know, as we're talking about judging in Romans chapter 2, there is an aspect of judging for spiritual people. And it's not a judgmental, it's not to condemn or hurt anybody. And folks, initially it's about salvaging that person. And if they refuse to be salvaged, then it's about protecting the people around them. And sometimes that exposes the individual. But that's their choice. You know, you can't do anything about it, you know. But until then, you just focus on helping them. Help them through it. Help them work through those things, you know. I think that's a spiritual thing to do. Let's bow our heads.